0: All right. Well, welcome everyone to Tuesday night Doctrine of Christ. I am Malia Bond. For those of you who I haven't met yet, I'm glad to be here again. All right. So, um, I'm really excited about this. The we've done a lot on Joseph Smith and. Moses and kind of what we're expecting for the future, especially Dustin Grady. He's done some incredible, uh, doctrine of Christ, uh, Tuesday night meetings for us. So this isn't going to be quite like that. It's, he's very doctrinally based and this is doctrinally based, but we're not going to go into every single scripture where we just wouldn't have time. So basically what we're doing here is, uh, the last time that I came on, I did a pretty straightforward doctrine of Christ from the beginning of time. So from Adam all the way up um, to Joseph Smith, how everybody follows the same pattern broken heart, contrite spirit, you know, there's patterns and parallels. And one of the things that I shared was when I started truly seeing the doctrine of Christ, I had, it was 2019 uh, October general conference. And I got this strong feeling right after conference and I needed to study the Israelites and Moses. And I needed to study the things that were happening in their culture, the things that had happened Uh, When Christ came, when John the Baptist was teaching, and then I needed to compare those things to us today. And as I began doing that, I mean, things just unfolded before me that I I couldn't deny. And I I knew I was guided by the Spirit. And and I've seen more and more patterns and parallels that teach so many incredible truths and help prepare us for what's going to be coming up. So that's basically what this is. This is just going to be going through different patterns and parallels that you see between. Moses, the Israelites, the Jews, and then Joseph Smith, early saints, Latter Day Saints. So each of the three groups going back and forth. And the the first part that I really love here as we get started, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Is start off with, "In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established." So we understand that that correlates with you know, certain events that happen or, or certain doctrines, but it it also look at the great whole of this entire creation. The Lord's going to do certain grand patterns and parallels from the beginning of time to the end of time, two or three. And he's going to play those out to give us, give the entire existence of humanity, the same witness of certain things, (laughs) not just these small little snippets that we get as we go. So. Right here, just just to give a quick example of that, you've got um, the tabernacle of Moses set up in the wilderness, and you've got Solomon's temple, and then you've got the Kirtland temple, okay? So pretty clear patterns and parallels of the same um, doctrine being processed. So patterns follow spiritual and, and physical patterns. So Usually if there's a spiritual pattern, there's also a physical pattern and then, and they're gonna go hand in hand. The Lord does everything spiritually and then physically. So just keep that in mind. So some of these might seem like they're just a coincidence, but in, in reality, if we haven't pointed out the spiritual pattern yet, then um, look into it, study it. I also don't go into everything that every single pattern needs or connection just because it's kind of neat to find these yourselves. So if this starts sparking your interest, go in and start studying it. Just look into, start reading, you know, um, numbers in, in Deuteronomy and the Exodus and, and start considering what things maybe were left out because there certainly were at a whole notebook full and I couldn't put them all in here. And it's it's fun to let the spirit teach you. So even the ones that are explained, go back to them and revisit them and see what the spirit teaches you as, as we go through and just keep that in mind. So here's the three groups, Moses, Israelites, Jews. Uh, were the first pattern that basically was set up, and then Joseph, early Saints, Latter-day Saints. So they both had interactions with Satan, pretty distinct interactions with Satan. Uh we know in Moses 1 that uh Satan even gets so angry to to rail and call himself uh the only begotten the Son you know taking trying to take Christ's place. Joseph Smith at a very early age had the same kind of experience where Satan was trying to usurp power. And then even later on in his life, you can read a lot of early church history and testimonies and journal entries that explain that, you know, Joseph had to constantly combat Satan in a very real level. One of the uh, examples that was given was he, they moved to a new home and his children kept leaving the home and then getting ill and coming back. And Joseph, he would heal them and then they would leave the home and come back and they're ill again. And, Finally, he went to the Lord and he asked, "What's going on?" And he was able to see Satan there fighting directly with him, and he was able to rebuke Satan, you know, and have him go. But there's so many um, more interactions that he had. But you see that if you, as you go through Moses's life, he had many interactions that were directly explained in the scriptures, also. And you don't see that a whole bunch, you know. You don't Nephi you have Nephi's great prayer and, and other s- scenarios, but you don't really see a whole bunch of direct interaction where someone's talking or dealing directly with Satan like you do with Moses and Joseph. So God wants to destroy, but these two people offer an intercession and an atonement. So Moses ex- uh, does that in Exodus thirty two ten. So constantly think, I want you to Keep in mind the whole time, the type of personalities that the Israelites had, they were constantly complaining, constantly rude, constantly ungrateful. They were hard hearted. They wouldn't listen to, to Moses, the things he was saying. And, and it was just exhausting. And Moses still keeps interceding. So we have in 3210, now then let me alone that mine anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. And I will make of you a great nation. Moses then intercedes the Jews and asks God not to destroy them. And then it goes in through um, Deuteronomy 9, 13 through 14. I'm not going to read all of them. Um, Joseph Smith claims the same thing, that he goes like a lamb to the slaughter. And he's conscious, is completely clean of offense towards all men. And he knows that he will die innocent. And that he will be said of him that he was murdered in cold blood. And then, lots of other areas, we see a pattern of making that intercession. If you look back at the tabernacle that that um, Moses set up, the Holy of Holies was only was the one place where only one person entered, and that was that high priest. And the high priest entered that space to heap up the sins of the people onto himself, and then make that intercession. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us, right? So you've got uh, Moses who was likened into that savior role and who took on that high priest role. Then you have Joseph Smith who's likened under Moses and likened into um, that saviorhood role where he's also said no man has done more for mankind than save Jesus Christ, you know, um, other than Joseph Smith. So really important connection there that's made. They both desire to lead people to Zion or a promised land. So Moses kept striving to do this, kept trying to do this. The reality that these people obviously missed here, the, the big boat that they missed was that they thought that it was just a destination process when in reality, it's a journey. The journey is the whole process. It's not about the end result. It's about the development and the changes that happen as you get there. And you have the same thing with Joseph Smith. They weren't just going to all of a sudden walk in design. All of a sudden, you're in Christ's presence. That's not how this works. Every group of people that follow God have to to experience an exodus. They they pull away. Now remember everything that I'm saying has a spiritual and a physical context. So I can't go into both of those on all of these, but just keep in keep in mind, you know, they pull away, they follow the spirit or they follow God or they follow um a leader and then they um go through all these incredible changes and experiences as they go through. And we're going to touch back on this towards the end because this is really important for us today. Both laid foundations for several priesthood orders. So we we understand as if you listen to Phil's stuff, he goes into all the different priesthood orders that are laid down. So I'm not going to go into all those, those are in his podcast. But just real quickly, you've got the Aaronic priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. They did not have those. They did not have those readily available. Moses comes up, he tries to give the people the higher priesthood. I mean, he he believes that they can hold all and take all of them. And, of course, he comes down out of the mountain. What does he see? They're (laughs) obviously not prepared or capable or worthy of that. And so instead, you know, you've got Exodus 29. He says, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons, sashes, and bind them on caps, and the priesthood shall be theirs by the statue forever, and thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. Um, And then verses in 107, verses 13 through 17, and this is Dr. Covenants, the second priesthood is called the priesthood of Aaron because it was conferred upon Aaron and his seed throughout all their generations. Why is it called the lesser priesthood? It is because it is an appendage to the greater or the Melchizedek priesthood, and has power in administering outward ordinances. So they didn't get the higher priesthood. We all know because of their actions, their unbelief, all the things that Moses tried to do for them, and they weren't capable of it. Joseph Smith, we know, went through the same process, and I am not going to get into the details of that. However, just really quickly, the the things that we saw Joseph Smith do. Nobody has done since then, right? The broken heart and contrite spirit is the new and everlasting covenant. And that brings about the baptism of fire, baptism of Holy ghost, and then eventually entering back into Christ's presence or having that second comforter after receiving the first comforter. And we don't have a lineage of people receiving that just like after Moses, we have no record of a lineage of people receiving that. So we have the same thing happening. We have something greater being done by a leader. And then, of course, we have the people being unwilling or unworthy to follow in those steps. And, of course, you, you see the lesser being given. Now, a lot of truths were twisted into blaspheme, blaspheming by, by the people. So um, in Exodus 17, there's a situation. Constantly the people are upset, like I said angry. This is towards the end of their trip. And at the very end, they're mad because they don't have any water. Of all the blessings and all the things that they've seen God do for these people, they're still complaining. And so Moses says, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? So he's he's saying, I'm going to just give this to you. I'm so angry. Now in the Christian world, the secular Christian world, it, it they claim that Moses here was, God was angry at Moses and he was punishing Moses because of this. And so Moses was cursed and could not enter the promised land that take that to the Lord yourself. I don't agree with that from the patterns that I've seen. We'll get into later what my conclusion on that is, but all of these take to the Lord because it's really interesting when you see something that everybody else sees a certain way. And then the spirit guides you direct differently. It's, it's kind of neat. Joseph, made some of the same comments he was uh if I revealed all that had been made known to me scarcely men in this stand would stay with me and brethren if I were to tell you all I know the King, you know God I know that you'd rise up and kill me so Joseph couldn't even be direct and clear with the people he was called a blasphemer he was called so many things and you go back to Moses look at what people think of Moses in this one scripture they're all claiming that Moses failed at the end that Moses blasphemed that Moses sinned against God that Moses um eventually just died because he was basically a bad person you can look up all sorts of things that that discuss this and so um, they call him a blasphemer they call joseph smith a blasphemer and it's very interesting how the majority of the world looks at these situations with these people and it's negative they were both law givers so like the priesthood they gave laws moses we have the ten commandments the mosaic law forms out of that joseph smith of course we get the book of mormon we've got the doctrine and covenants we've got really important pieces of the doctrine of christ that are coming together to help build this foundation and then what do you see so it's really hard sometimes to see it because in our scenario because we're living it right now but if you look at moses's time and you see the the pattern that we that um rolls out from him you can just kind of assume that same thing's happening with us and then it's easier to see. So he gives these laws. How many laws does he give? He gives 10 and then a few more break off off of that and a few more break off off of that. But here in a few slides, you'll see that there's thousands. Okay. So that the simple laws that were supposed to just be easy to keep, if you were a good person and truly desire to follow Christ. And then eventually when you came into hearing the Lord's voice, you wouldn't need any laws because you were following Christ. Same situation here you'll see with Joseph Smith. I mean, what does Joseph Smith say? He says, teach them righteous principles and they govern themselves. And that's what Joseph Smith desired. Moses said the same thing. He's, you know, would to God that all men would be prophets. He would be such a burden relieved off of him if he did not have to constantly treat these Israelites like little kids and correct them and constantly um, have to go to the Lord and intercede on their behalf. 40 years wandering with people who are just complaining and angry and mad and rising up to uh, maim you or kill you, uh, because that happened a lot, would be pretty exhausting. So both of these men gave laws, reestablished laws or new laws for the people to just help them govern themselves. Pretty simple. So this is the interesting part, taken out of their midst. Moses and Joseph were both taken out of the midst of the people they were leading. Now, this is where some people have come out and explained, well, there's one man in particular that came out a long time ago and said he believed Moses was murdered. Um, I I don't agree with a lot of the other things that he wrote, but as I pondered this and and looked at the pattern, you saw how many times from the very moment that Moses went into Egypt to tell the people he was there to deliver them and that the Lord sent him, they, they reviled against him almost immediately. And then when he says this, they're going to be delivered. And then it doesn't happen. They revile more and they try to kill him. I mean, they literally tried to kill Moses more times than I think it is written in there because, you know, the people who have the record are the ones that get to, you know, affect the record, but, uh, they're constantly, uh, reviling against him, angry at him, mad at him. Uh, they, Moses let's see, DNC 8424, they hardened their hearts. After the worship of the golden calf, the Lord took Moses out of their midst and took away the the holy or higher priesthood. Only the lesser priesthood remained. So the Lord took Moses out of their midst. We know that the Lord also took Joseph out of the midst of the early saints. They Now how that happens, it doesn't mean that he necessarily was twinkled. Now that could be but I'm just showing this connection and this would be a pretty clear pattern because the people with the early saints had the same attitude. They were constantly complaining. They were constantly quarreling with one another going through DNC. It is very clear how many issues people were having, especially when you see how many people were um, either being excommunicated or apostatizing um, all the people that were practicing all this uh, spiritual wife doctrine. It was just, it was, it was pretty bad. Uh, I think too many times we have these rosy ideas of what was going on in the early church, and that is not at all how how it was. So you had people constantly um, conspiring against Joseph, trying to take over power from Joseph, trying to um, get him arrested or whatnot, uh, even the, his, some of his closest confidants. So in both instances, they're taking out before the work is done. How interesting. So Joseph never gets to the promised land or Zion and neither does Moses. So these patterns are pretty clear. And as far as I'm concerned, take it to the Lord. But I, I do believe that they rose up, um, at the very, very end, they had been wandering in the same area for almost, I think it was like 37 years. Uh, it only took them so long to get to almost the promised land that they were supposed to inherit. And then they're just left, you know, going around and around and around. And the people were complaining, we want to go in, we want to go in. And who was saying that they couldn't, you know, um, um, Moses saying, "No, it's not time yet. We need to do this. We need that." So um, it makes perfect sense that they would have finally said, "Let's take care of this." So taken out of their midst, neither one of them got to fully finish or see their people uh, complete what their purpose. They felt their purpose was. They each had a spokesman. Uh, Exodus 4, 10, 16. Spoke- Aaron's the one that's going to be constantly talking for Moses. Moses was slow to speech, as we know, and the same thing for Joseph. And it wasn't so much that Joseph was slow to speech, but it wasn't his gift to be an order. And Sidney Rigdon instead was an incredible speaker. He had um, really good uh, being a pastor or a leader of a congregation. He had skills when it came to connecting doctrine and it was his calling to have Joseph Smith stand up and Joseph Smith explain some new revelation or a, a doctrine that the Lord had revealed to him and then Sidney Rigdon would stand up right after and he just had such a deep understanding of the Bible that he could connect that and find where that was true just um right off the um right off the bat so it was really neat i bet to see them work together and then you see the same thing with um, Moses and Aaron. So Moses would talk to the Pharaoh or say what's going to happen, or and then they would argue. Pharaoh would say no, and then Aaron would stand up and Aaron would do um, whatever needed to be done and warn and, and etc. So really interesting spokesman aspect that these great prophets have someone on the right hand that they're working with or that is helping them or supporting them. Sydney was also told that he would help. Joseph, so that his faith would not faint, or he would not be weary in the the work. So that's a really powerful calling for Sidney. And I feel that that was a lot of the times the same with Aaron. And then what's also interesting is Aaron even turns against Moses at certain points, right at the beginning with the calf going completely against what Moses is teaching while Moses is up in Mount Sinai. And then later on with Miriam, which we'll touch on, Sydney does the same thing. You know, we understand, we know that Sydney apostasizes for a little while, comes back, you know, he just leaves and, and has issues. And, you know, there's so many rumors going around with Joseph Smith. I don't, I obviously wasn't there, so I can't say all the details, but from the information that is given in Joseph Smith papers, it seems like Sydney was pretty confused. He was getting information from uh, one side, and then Joseph telling him, no, that's not true. And and that was probably really hard for him, trying to trust all these different people at the same time. Uh, Sidney was, was really um, struggling at that time. And then eventually he comes back, and um, by then Joseph has passed away. So really interesting roles that these spokesmen have with the great prophets at that time. Their names will be had for good and evil. I really love this because uh, when I started looking at this, uh, John Pratt uh, brought this to my attention and I thought it was really neat. Moses was a murderer. Remember he murdered that Egyptian and that's what causes him to run away when, when he realizes other people find out and Pharaoh wants to kill him. So he, he is a murderer. Everybody thinks awful of him. He didn't, no one, People didn't think he murdered. The scriptures say he murdered. Now, if that's a typo or if there's a mistake there, possibly, maybe. Um, We don't know if it was a situation like Nephi where the spirit told him to do it. But either way, you can guarantee that the people back who knew Moses were going, wow, he's a murderer. He's a bad guy. Uh, He had all sorts of marriage issues. Moses had some marriage issues issues. He, and in Jasher, it explains a lot more detail, uh, he, who he married. Um, he actually married outside the covenant. He never consummated that marriage. It was more for, uh, the support of the Ethiopian queen and their people. Cause they wanted to keep, um, but he respected her and he took care of them, but that caused all sorts of issues, all sorts of issues. And we see that later on with Miriam. That was one of the things that Miriam brings up to Moses. But Lot caused lots of havoc, I'm sure, as, as in, well, this is our prophet. Well, look who he married. That's completely against our law. Why would he do that, right? And then his life was threatened by an angel, which we only get one sentence of when you read, uh, when you read about it in Exodus, but you get a lot more detail when you go into Jasher. So, um, And that's Jasher 79, 8 through 12, and Exodus 4, 24 through 25. Uh, those kind of go hand in hand, which is really interesting. And then, of course, you have Joseph Smith. He is, uh, it's spread like wildfire that he's the one that was trying to assassinate or hire someone to assassinate Boggs. And we know that John C. Bennett was the one that basically started perpetrating that. Who else jumped on the bandwagon and helped spread that like wildfire? We're not sure. We can make assumptions <laughs> pretty easily. But um, he was accused of murder, or attempted murder. And then marriage. You've got all the polygamy, the um the polyandry, you've got the underage, young women, I mean, pretty, pretty bad stuff. I, I thought it was funny the way um, John Pratt says it. He's like, it looks like it if you throw it on the top of one of those um, tabloid magazines, it's it's pretty bad. And so already with the murder on, on, and then the marriage stuff and the polygamy and polyandry and underage stuff, uh, it, it doesn't look like anyone wants to believe that he would be a a real profit right and then you've got the life threatened by an angel and of course this isn't in scripture this is um quotes or second and you know so we're not really sure how this happened or what it happened in regard to however um there is record of supposedly him also having a run-in with the, name, the angel um, going back to Moses though, his situation with the angel, it was said to be God, the spirit of God and due to circumcision, not having his youngest son or his son circumcised. Um, and that goes into a whole other thing, which we won't get into. So it's interesting whether the angel really did appear to Joseph Smith and what that was in relation to. That's something we have to study and go to the Lord with on our own, but three really big ones that they had no doubt, um, hand in hand. New and everlasting covenant. So Moses tried to teach the Israelites this. Uh, Exodus 19.10, and the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And be ready again the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And verse 20, they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And then, of course, um, next couple verses, they say, no, 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 Moses, you go ahead. You go up. We'll wait here. Tell us what he says. We'll be good. Uh, Just, it seems super disappointing, but the reality is we're all called to do that every day, you know, to go up to the Lord and have the faith and the broken heart, contrary spirit and our we all doing it, you know. Um, so you've got Joseph Smith getting told the same thing, DNC 8868, therefore sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him, for he will build his face to you, and it shall be in his own time, in his own way, and according to his own will. And then we go into 74, which talks about the first labors and last kingdom, the commandment that you assemble yourselves together and organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and be and sanctify yourselves. Um, and it goes into purifying your hearts and clean hands. Let's see. Uh, that I may fulfill this promise, this great and last promise. Both of these invitations were rejected by the people they were given to. No one wanted to put in the work or the effort, or they didn't believe in it, or they were completely and wholly unworthy to do so. So they did not receive the higher, uh, they received the lesser. And that led to Moses having to build a tabernacle. He, the tabernacle wasn't built before he tried to get them to come to the Lord. The tabernacle was built after because they wouldn't follow the simple pattern. He was telling them, he was right there with them, telling them, and they wouldn't accept it. So what does he have to do? He has to go build something that will help teach them so that hopefully they would eventually get it if they kept going and they kept praying and they truly desired to follow the Lord. Um, sadly, that's that doesn't really work very well. Um, so both of them tried to implement the New and Everlasting Covenant, and it wasn't very successful. They both spoke with God face to face. Moses one verse two specifically says, "And I spake with God face to face." And then, of course, we know the Joseph Smith history uh, where he sees God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ. This is pretty clear because what's neat about it is they both say those words, you know, face to face or speak as one man speaketh with another. And very few others say that some say I saw the spirit of the Lord, and this is what I heard, or I heard the Lord's voice and my sins were forgiven. These men specifically say that. Um, Moroni also says that, Um, I spoke to him as one man speaketh with another. So um, very, we, we, we hear it so much that we always oh, spoke with God face to face. But You don't really see that specifically said a lot in scripture. So it's another very important connection that we don't want to miss. So miracles that these, I know there's so many more miracles. Like I said, I'm not hitting on absolutely everything. So if I miss your favorite miracle, I'm sorry. But these are just some of the ones that stood out to me that were spot on. Um, Moses splits that rock and water gushes out you've got the situation in zion's camp where water is miraculously provided what's funny is if you really get the scriptures out and read what happens before moses splits the rock and then you go to the zion's camp situation the people are acting exactly the same it's 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 crazy it it feels like <laughs> if it, it feels like it's the same group of people almost i i don't know because you've got Moses's people, they're mad. They're, after they've been fed with all this stuff, they're saying, we don't want to be here. This is ridiculous. We want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to Egypt again and be slaves. They're And they're not just saying nicely those things. They're angry. They're mad. They're railing against Moses to the point where Moses is so angry, he acts out of anger, giving them water. And then Zion's camp, Joseph Smith sitting in his tent quietly. And all he hears, I mean, they're on this, this trek, where they should all be focusing on the Lord as much as possible and, and praying and receiving guidance and understanding. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to look back and say that, but, but that's really is what they should be doing. And what are they doing? They're all moaning and groaning and mad and saying, "Now we don't have water. Now we're here. You know, and they know Joseph can hear them that the respect wasn't there that the love wasn't there. They're, they're just all they're thinking about is themselves and how hard their lives are and how they don't want to be there. And so Joseph Smith gets up, walks out, takes a spade. He digs in the ground a little ways. And then what happens? Water starts coming up out of the ground. It's a complete miracle. There was no water anywhere. The animals needed to drink. The people needed to drink. Immediately they bring over the, the animals they drink. All the people are just in shock. Something else that's very interesting too is it seems that only seven or eight of them actually saw him perform this. The rest of them were just so full of themselves and so full of their anger and, and animosity and, you know, whatever else is possessing them that they don't even notice or see this incredible miracle happen. The ones that see it are in shock and awe. And then Moses or Joseph Smith just, he doesn't say anything, he just walks back to his tent, sits down and, you know, watches the people partake of this miracle. These things aren't always big and grand when they happen. Um, of course, you have. Moses parting the waters, which is super phenomenal. Uh, there's I don't have all of the miracles that Joseph has performed. We know he performed a lot, but the one, one that I've always liked since I've heard when I was younger was when they're on a ship and they can't um, get out of the harbor or get going because there's the um, ice all around the ship and they can't get going. And they've got the persecutors trying to chase them. And then Joseph Smith calls for everything to be broken up. A a lot more happens in the story than that. So I'm kind of butchering it. But And then all of a sudden, like thunder, all the ice breaks, and they're all able to move through. And then even before the people following them can come, the ice closes back together, and they're able to get out, which was really neat. And the, the last one that I have on this particular one is the plagues. So you've got Moses being in charge of plagues and calling plagues. And then even some of his own people, when, when they're uh, disobedient or rebellious, are plagued. And the same thing with Joseph Smith. You have certain situations where the, his people are plagued and he goes and he blesses them. He commands them to be healed and they are healed. Uh, and that this is part of one of the plagues. So Moses is rubbing everybody the wrong way, including his most trusted uh, friends and family. You've got Aaron and Miriam. And the interesting thing with Aaron and Miriam is you if they really had an issue with his leadership, there was already a process in the law to bring that forward and have him come for council. They didn't fully desire him to just be corrected. They wanted power. They wanted to take over all of these people they I mean, I, I don't know what their full motivations were, but you've got over a million people, you know, when you count men, women, and children, and that's a nation, that's, that's, that's a lot. And so they weren't just trying to correct something wrong that he'd done or help him see the light by properly putting him through this council. They very clearly wanted the power and even to kind of add a little salt to that wound. Miriam makes some comments about his wife. So she brings up the Ethiopian uh, situation and mocks him quite a bit. And then of course, we know what happens to her. She gets uh, leprosy in her hand after Moses intercedes. Once again, he's doing an intercession. Uh, She's able to be healed. Joseph Smith, we know that story also. Joseph Smith is constantly betrayed by those closest to him, even to the extent to where his life life is taken, not by strangers and a mob, but by those who know him the most and that he trusted the most. Really sad process here, but obviously a very clear parallel and pattern. So this one's a little interesting. Foundation was laid for true believers to awaken. Now this is where we're stepping away from directly talking about um, Moses and Joseph, and we're going to talk about Israelites and Jews here. So we've got in Moses's time that a uh, foundation was laid, but then by the time you get to the Pharisees, they're uh, they're so con- they have so convoluted the doctrine that <laughs> that there's really no hope for it. However, those people were able to keep the foundation intact just enough to where those who truly loved Christ would be able to find it, act on it, and awaken. And you see the same thing with Joseph Smith. You see a foundation laid. However, over time, over mistakes of men, over pride, vanity, unbelief, read the Book of Mormon. It's all in there. It talks about us and the Gentiles constantly. Uh, It becomes to the point where we believe that we're saved. You've got the Jews who thought, I can go to the temple and perform this, and I'm good. I'm good for the year until I need to perform it again next year. I am saved. And then you have that same idea. Now, not all Latter-day Saints believe that, but sadly you do. Some people think, oh, I just got sealed in the temple. I'm good. I'm good to go. And we know that that's incorrect. So the foundations were laid and they were kept alive. The foundations were kept alive through these organizations. However, they become um, corrupted in a lot of different ways. So what's, we talked about this a little bit. But with the Mosaic law, Aaron built the idol. Hence, God made Aaron the priest over the Lord priesthood to allow Israel to have the idol they desired. I'd never really seen it in in that light until I realized that the people wanted wanted their culture back. And we'll talk about that in, in a slide coming up. But they wanted their life back more than they wanted to move forward. So Aaronic law was the power to baptize for the remission of sins. And Melchizedek law is the power to bring back into the presence of God. This rejection of the higher priesthood that we see constantly uh, is something to take into account because so many people who think that they have this, they can't show the fruits of it. And that's the really important thing. The Lord does everything by the fruits, the fruits of his prophets, the the fruits of uh, his church, the fruits of his people, the fruits of Christ. You partake of that fruit and you live forever, you know, all of these things. So it's really important to look at the fruits. If you have the Melchizedek priesthood, then you will see the fruits of that. It's not the same fruits of the Aaronic priesthood. You see the miracles. You see ether 12 everywhere. If you have those, uh, that power and that relationship with the Lord, you don't see that. So instead the people get an idol. So you can take and you can ponder that and think about what the idol is that we have today. But in Moses's time, it was an idol that was given to them because they wanted someone else between them and God. And so they were given Aaron. In uh, the garden, Satan revealed knowledge to them. When we obtain knowledge knowledge from a mediator, we become binded by him and become, and he becomes our God. Now, when we hear a true prophet speak, such as um, Aaron or uh, the situation with King Lamoni or King Lamoni's father, they hear truth, but then they go to the Lord and that's where they, the Holy Spirit either gives them that pure intelligence, that light and knowledge, and they receive their understanding themselves. They know whether it's true or whether it's false. The people, if whenever people don't do that. So whenever you hear something from a neighbor or something on the news, or whenever you um, hear something from a church leader and you don't take that information and go back to the Lord to find out for yourself, that has become your God. That has become your idol. The inform you have just said, okay, I'm good with that. And you are happy placing that person or that thing between you and God. So it's your idol. Israelites decided something tangible to worship. They created the golden calf. Early saints placed Joseph as their idol to an extent. And then that eventually became usurped by many other wicked indulgements that completely saturated their community. So whether the idols are metal, buildings, men, whatever it is that you take as your main piece of knowledge or understanding when it comes to these things, that's your idol. Focusing. Now to the physical and spiritual. So as far as preparation, being, if you look at the Israelites as a whole and then how they slowly developed into the Jews because they were two completely different groups in, as far as how they worshiped and it was changed so much by the time you get to Christ's time. All, the Israelites completely believed in the physical aspect. So I'm killing this lamb. Now I'm saved. Um. Elijah's going to come sit at my table and restore. The king is going to literally lead us out of the power of this foreign nation. They were very, very physical. It was very, very real. It was very much outside of them. However, you've got the Latter-day Saints today who focus almost wholly on the spiritual side. Preparation is almost completely spiritual. There is no real there's no talk about any need to physically see Christ or any need to actually um make those very real interactions or very real changes, even like having a cross. Joseph Smith had a cross. And um, a lot of the early saints had crosses. There was a cross in the Kirtland temple. It was an outward, very physical thing that no, 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 we don't need crosses because it's written on our hearts. It's an internal spiritual, you know, experience. So if you look at both these, they're both partially right, but they're both very wrong at the same time. The early ones, when things didn't go their way, oh, wait, I'm supposed to make changes inwardly. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to, you know, and then I'm not being delivered, I thought this king was going to come and make all these changes and deliver me completely, so their expectations and their understanding of how salvation worked was completely wrong, and the same is for Latter-day Saints, who are, you know, completely in the opposite direction, you've got, you know, polar opposites here, where almost everything is focused on spiritual, and it's very rarely does it go to this, to the physical, to anything actually physically, do we manifest the physical gifts do we actually do any of these things you don't see it you don't see those fruits you don't see any of that and christ is this thing that happens way in advance not even in this life it's it's you're saved even before you even have an experience or anything with him even though he stands at the gate and what's going to happen in the future is you have to have the balancing of both of these you have to have be able to give up your expectations if you see how, how badly the um, Sadducees and Pharisees and Israelites completely messed up how Christ was going to come into play. Now, if they had searched like John the Baptist and all of the others who follow Christ, they would have been prepared. However, their expectation completely threw them off to the extent where they killed them. You're going to see that in the future. You're going to see the people that are following Christ and doing Christ's work. Being treated the same way and not just, oh, they're excommunicated. It's going to be the same way. Patterns and parallels, the same things are going to happen. So you're going to have people having this expectation. No, I'm still in the temple. I've experienced these things. I'm just going to look up one day and the prophet's going to say, go to Zion. I'm going to wait in Zion. And then I'll all of a sudden hear angels singing and Christ will be bringing back, you know, the new Jerusalem, whatever. With Enoch, and that's that's not how this is gonna this plays out, and so the shock when when it does play out opposite will not be oh I messed up. It will be anger. It will be uh, Second Nephi 28, 28 He trembleth lest he shall fall. They become angry because it's not what they're expecting, and their truth wasn't truth; it was false. I love this one because. They both believed their priesthood line was completely infallible. They, it, it's so funny. They, can't, they quote themselves, the Israelites, and then eventually to the Jews, quote, well, we have this from Moses. Oh, no. Well, this is an unbroken line. We've we been doing the temples. We have the tabernacle. We, we have, we have, we have, we have, we have. We have all the scriptures saying so. We have, Moses has been told that this is going to be this way all the way until such and such time. We have a completely unbroken line. We have kept our lineages. We have done everything. We have the priesthood. We have the rights. Now let's go to today. The keys have been perfectly passed down since Joseph Smith. We have all the lineages of it. We have a completely unbroken um, right to all of the keys that have been restored to the earth and it will never be taken. Exact same parallels here as with. The Israelites. Why is it that it's so easy for us to look at the Israelites and see, oh my goodness, how how could you have gone so wrong? But yet we can't look at ourselves and go, hmm, this doesn't seem right, huh? Um, you know, the the Catholic Church claims the same thing, right? They claim, well, some people can make mistakes, but that's okay because we have the right priesthood passed down, so it's okay, and we make the same um, argument, we say, you know, well, it was passed down. It's never going to be removed. And so we've got to stick with this because this is where the truth is. And the reality is that authority is lost when that relationship is broken. Woe to the man, Joseph Smith said. Okay. So we see that fallibility, we have to be able to see the fallibility in all people, ourselves and our leaders, so that we were constantly discerning who we're listening to, what we're reading, what we're watching, uh, what spirit is speaking to us. If we're not, like I said, we're then placing an idol somewhere, and that's never going to lead us to where we all want to be, and that's the tree of life. The tithes are, <laughs> I won't go into this one too much, but you've it's pretty clear because you, you've got the Jews who believe that they tithe and what did the tithings go tithes go for Well, Christ said it wasn't going to the poor and um, you've got the people who were sacrificing all still giving, which was really neat to see. Mormon eight says they robbed the poor because they're fine sanctuaries. They robbed the poor because they're fine clothing, you know, hand in hand with Mark 12 41 and Luke 21. Um, I was talking, to somebody about this the other day, and it was kind of an interesting discussion because they were saying, Well, just because this is a house actually that I have on here that's actually for sale right now in Provo, and this I don't, I'm not wealth hating anybody, I'm not like class hating anyone or anything like that, I'm not about that. But the point was brought up that, Well, the Lord prospers his people, and yes, you see that all throughout the Book of Mormon. But I want you to consider the story of the Book of Mormon. When the people have entered into the new covenant and they are taking his the spirit to be their guide and the spirit is always with them, the Lord prospers them. But what do the people do? They're a Zion like people. They have all things in common. There are no poor among them. There are no disputes and no anger and no hatred. That is the fruit. There's fruits in all things. That is the fruit of true prosperity by God. Now there's an opposite opposition in all things. So if there's prosperity by God, there's prosperity by Satan, right? So what are the fruits of that? Well, obviously it's, well, look what all I have. And yeah, I give some money here and some money there, but this is what I have. And that's the reality is if you're not exhibiting the same fruits that the Book of Mormon shows when you're being prospered by God, then you're obviously exhibiting fruits that Babylon gives you. And I don't have to go any further than that. You can consider it yourself. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm be the first one to admit it. However, the reality is when you're following the Lord and doing what he asks, the proper pattern plays out that eventually you are with like-minded people and you work together and something is established. If you're not, then it goes the other way. Now, yeah, it's hard to pull away from Babylon. None of us, I don't think any of us are there yet. This is something else that I'll throw in here too, that uh, my husband and I, I, really felt strongly about in the last month. And that's, you know, as we see these things play out in the world today, we just have to consider, well, how much of our faith is in, you know, these stores or these places or these people. Do we wait until the last minute when it's all ripped away and we don't have a choice? Or do we take time to hear the voice of the Lord now, pull away from those things and make connections with others so that we're prepared when certain things happen? Because we all know certain things are happening. Just consider that. Take it to the Lord if you haven't already. I think it's something that could bear good fruit later. The temples, ordinances and laws save us. We already kind of touched on this, so I won't really go into it too much. The, the Pharisees believed that they were special. They came from a certain line of people who knew all the laws. And then down here at the bottom, it says, you know, they added 1,500 more laws towards the end. They had 6,000 extra laws over the 613 commandments and 1,500 specifically about the Sabbath day. <laughs> I don't know how they keep that straight, but it sounds like I'd get stoned any other day because I'm sure I'd break all of them, not know, even be able to read them all. Uh, the connection here was, they've got so many laws that they believed again physically that their laws saved them. A lot of times you see the same thing. The doctrine incumbent Covenants part of Mormon canon. Scripture states that celestial marriage is the gate to an exaltation in the highest heaven with the celestial, um, within the celestial world. As part of the temple endowments, these members of the Mormon Church are married for time, and eternity to their spouses in that temple. Those who do not abide this law do not enter into the glory. So basically. If you don't do it, you don't get to be saved. There is no mention of Christ there. It's you have to go through here, get this certain marriage, and then you're in eternity and you're saved for eternal life. Same thing with the Jews. Practice all of these laws. Don't upset anybody. Uh, Make the proper sacrifices and you're saved. I had a little question down here at the bottom. You can read it. Think about it yourself. We don't need to go into it. They executed or killed the prophets. You've got lots of examples, so I don't need to go into the examples of all those. John 8, 58, 59, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. You've got Stephen, all of them. We know all the disciples were killed except John. Many more Christians have been killed and martyred since then. And then common today even in, in Joseph Smith's time, we had a lot of issues with uh, with parallels there, people not accepting, people would fly to glass, Joseph said. any Anytime he tried to teach anything new, they would fly to glass. They couldn't handle having their um, Presbyterian traditions um, taken away or their Protestant traditions taken away. They couldn't handle a new idea or a new thought. It's the same thing that happened in the Jews' time. Time. They could not handle being told that maybe they could be slightly off in a piece of doctrine, or maybe this law wasn't exactly you know needed. They there was there was so much pride and so much vanity and so much of a need for power that these people would not give one shred of uh, uh, of leeway to any ideas like that. And we do see that a lot today. Uh, not that the church wholly supports it, but you see it all the time. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but I've seen it, you know, in the smallest areas, um, just in conversations with friends. If you say something, I was telling someone about something Joseph said, that's a well-known quote I thought, and I, they about lost their mind, you know? So anytime someone is filled with the, uh, that what's it contentious, unteachable spirit, you're going to see that. They're not ready for truth. They get angry. Again, Second, Nephi 20 and 28. I thought that was really funny because I don't know if most of you know one of the Jewish laws, but I found it's just so funny. And so this is a picture of a chair out in the middle of the wilderness. Because if you were taking too many steps on the Sabbath to avoid breaking that rule, but you had to go somewhere, you would carry a chair so you could sit down for a certain amount of time to then get back up and finish walking. And if you hit the mass steps again, you can sit down again and technically not be breaking the law. (laughs) And that was like an amendment to their law. You see how ridiculous these laws are. I just thought it was funny. And then of course I put sister wives up there just (laughs) because you see how much things have changed. And we believe that this is the doctrine of Christ and it has nothing to do with the doctrine of Christ. Several tribes or portions of the tribes refused to trek to the promised land. This is something I didn't know before 2019. when The Lord told me to start looking into this stuff. I, I mean, technically, some people say all the 12 tribes entered the promised land because um, tribe of Reuben, tribe of and some of Manasseh left their wives and children behind and helped the rest of the tribes cross the Jordan and go in and fight who they need to fight and then came back. But they didn't want to go with them. And I think a larger portion of the tribes didn't go and help at all. Why would they not want to go? And there's all sorts of examples or things that, you know, the land was better, whatever, whatnot. Uh, the reality is they didn't stay together. There were breakoffs. After, jo- after Moses died, there were breakoffs. Interesting, right? There were people who said, no, I don't believe that I want to follow these people. What happened after Joseph Smith died? We see the same splinter groups and I think there's, you know, eight or nine, but there's three or four main ones and then those <coughs> ones splintered off into other ones. Um, Joseph Smith III, Rigdonites, Strangites, Droids, uh, Brighamite, they're, they all, all broke off. Now, the majority went forward to Utah and the majority of the Israelites went into the Promised Land. Look at what The early saints were saying, or the Brighamite uh, group known as the Latter-day Saints today, what were they saying? They were saying they were harassed. They had to leave. uh, It was horrible. It was terrible. They left with their, you know, um, barely surviving. They were going to be killed. But then you have so many groups that stayed behind and were just fine and flourished and stayed in their homes that didn't have any issues. Uh, so, and then you have the same thing with Moses. You have this group of people who are complaining. Everything's terrible. Everything's awful. We don't have any water. We don't have any food. We can't survive. We need to get into this promised land. Well, but we have two and a half, almost three tribes that didn't want to go. They wanted to stay where they were. Interesting, right? Just stuff to think about. They idolized those who led, who, um, led them. So Moses is like, all idolized where I won't get into the details of those just because, um, we're getting close to time here. And then this was super cool. So they both traveled the same exact distance. Israelites traveled 1300 miles. They wandered all over the place, but their distance was 1300 miles. Joseph and the early saints traveled 1300 miles. I'm just going to let that sink in. I didn't know that. Maybe all of you knew that, but I didn't know that. I was actually praying before one of the times when I was sitting down to do some research and I was asking Lord to give me questions that I could research better because I was going through the book of Joshua, I was going through the Bible, I was going through all these things and everything was just spinning in my head. And I was like, Lord, I need you to step in. And he goes, how far did the age travel? I thought, oh, I didn't think of that. And then all I did was just Google. You could Google on your phone. How far did Israelites travel? 13 miles. How far did early saints travel? This is uncanny. Okay. Parallels. The Lord's pointing something out significant here. They kept the scriptures alive. So this goes along with the foundation that we talked about earlier. While a lot of the um, truths in the culture and the traditions and stuff were all damaged or lost, without the Israelites... And eventually the Jews, they wouldn't have had the word of God to awaken those people who were truly seeking Christ. Without the Book of Mormon, no matter what church it is that's that's whatever what they're saying, I think they still have the Book of Mormon, and that the people who truly read the Book of Mormon will come to the truth to come to the light and truth and knowledge that they desire if they're truly seeking Christ. And that's the amazing part here is you see people who were in with Pharisees and, and all these other groups, but because they truly did love Christ, their hearts were right. They came out and they followed him. And you'll see the same thing with the David Biddick servant and the saints are at uh, Christ in the latter days too. And this goes back to killing them. Uh, we already touched base on this a little bit. The Numbers 14, 1 through 16, and 35 goes more into depth on that. And then, of course, Joseph Smith, members of his own presidency, called him a fallen prophet. Disillusioned saints sought Joseph's death, and we know where that ended up. Spreading the truth is a really important one. The Jews had to first go to the Jews. Why did Christ say, no, 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 don't teach the Gentiles, just teach the Jews first? I already say that. That sounds so I, I always thought, well, if it's, if it's a true gospel, and if you love everyone the same, why couldn't you let them teach anybody? But what are what are we seeing here? Today, first we have to go to the lottery States, Nancy, 101, 33, 34, 35, first unto Gentiles, secondly unto the Jews. We are the Gentiles. But then if you go to 101 103, as Phil has explained in depth you see that there's servants in the vineyard. There's wheat that must be brought out. And so the Jews had to go to others and awaken them, teach them the truth, and they had to awaken them first. And so all the wheat in that time was pulled out from the um, unbelieving Jews. And then those were the good fruit that could then go and share. And the same thing for Latter-day Saints. They're gonna go and they're gonna harvest all that they can, which is happening right now, and then those people will go and the rest, it'll then go to the Lamanites and then the rest of the world. So, spreading the truth significantly happened in both areas. Some generations couldn't enter the promised land. There was about 40 years of wandering with Moses, and there's, it depends on what group you wanna say, from the time Joseph Smith founded the church, some started entering what was called the promised land for Latter-day Saints as early as the 50s, 1850, but then the majority of them didn't fully finish until 6870. Almost the same about a time span where uh, some people didn't make it. A lot of people died on the track. A lot of people stayed behind. Either way, they both spent a substantial amount of time from the time that they began to the time that they were settled in what they called their promised land. And many people didn't make it, many, or many people chose not to. Canaanites and Cochranites. This is a really deep one that um I if you don't know much about the Cochranites in the time of Joseph Smith, I, I would urge you to go and research that. There's a lot of really good books on it. You can read online, I think. Um, but the Canaanites to Moses were substantially more of an issue than just we want to take over their land that Moses was sitting outside their land for a long time Moses and the Israelites and his people were were going and interacting with them they were they were starting to participate in the sacrifices all the sexual deviancy and the terrible awful things i'm not going to say them on here cuz they're awful but they were participating they were being corrupted um, i'm talking huge groups thousands and thousands and thousands of the Israelites were Faster and faster, the longer they stayed there, were being completely corrupted by these people. see the same thing happen with Joseph Smith. As they go to certain areas, they had issues with the Cochranites and other spiritual wifery. Cochranites believed that uh, they had reinstated Abrahamic, the higher priesthood under Abraham, where you had multiple wives, but not even just that. What they did is they had special ordinances such as the washing of feet that was performed uh, between you and any other person, and then you could treat that person for that amount of time like your spouse. So they would do these ordinances and go be with whoever they wanted to be with. It was really bad, and it actually completely infiltrated Joseph Smith's uh, original church and, and led to so many issues later and to Joseph Smith's death, which was very sad. The, if you are do going to research this, research the missionaries that went to these areas, give you a good idea of maybe who came back and brought some of these ideas back. A lot of the Cochranites were converted. And so they came back and they brought their beliefs and their ideas. And it goes back to uh, why Moses had to completely destroy people. I, Ever since I was little, I thought that's so terrible that that he just killed all these people. The reality is, is that they were so wicked, and they, their entire society. The only reason you look at Babylon or you look at Sodom and Gomorrah in the Book of Jasher explains how they only really even had babies, and they got to the point where they're so bad that they only really had children so they could kill them. And of that alludes to the same thing with the Canaanites. The only reason they were having children is for the terrible pedophilia that was happening and for murdering them on altars. Um, so it was absolutely uh, a necessity to completely wipe that from, uh, from existence. So it didn't continue to torture all these innocents and then continue to uh, infiltrate the people of God. And then of course there's a lots of other corruption and things that happened. And then I have on here that we won't go into. So this is the last part of this and I would just make our um, final connection and the wheat and the tares. You have to ask yourself, this is what I used to ask myself when I was younger. If I lived in Jesus's time, would I have recognized him? And I used to pray and just talk to the Lord about that and go, "I, I want to have to be able to say yes. I hope that I could say yes, but I don't know if I could. And, and I would picture it, and I would um, think about John the Baptist, and I think about the other disciples, and, and think about what made it possible for them to be able to recognize Christ. And they studied the scriptures, they were believing, and they followed the spirit. You saw where the people who, even if they studied the scriptures, when they were leaning on men, they did not recognize Christ. But when they were leaning on the spirit and were willing to give up all things, those are the ones that recognized him. And you're going to see um, that same thing today in Joseph Smith or in the, the Jewish time frame that Christ came, the wheat come out. The wheat always come out and they're gathered and then the field is burned or the field rolled up into bundles and it's burned. The same thing you're going to see again. And that's kind of where this whole, why it even matters. What's the point of finding all of these patterns of parallels that are kind of like, it's kind of just like entertainment, you know, to look back and look at stuff and go, oh, wow, that connects. So you find all these little connections, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't do something about it. So what are we doing about it? Patterns give us um, help and understanding so that we can move forward. So we have a pattern very clearly laid out between Moses and Joseph, and then you know, the Jews a little way up from Moses, and you've got the Latter-day Saints a little way up from Joseph. What's the next step? The next step is a Davidic servant. I was I was talking with someone the other day, and she didn't mean to say she was kind of on the same um line, but basically what she said was, um, well, when the exodus happens and the Davidic servant is leading everyone out, um, It's just going to, you know, you, you read Isaiah and it's all this joy and singing and happiness. And I just was like, what? And she wasn't saying that that's what's going to be, but she's like, that's what scriptures say. And no, no, no. Scriptures talk about the actual Zion when Christ is here and lion lays down the lamb. Um, The Exodus is not going to be like that. Look at every other Exodus. What has it been? The majority of people are mad and angry and rebelling. Um, causing all sorts of strife and frustration. Uh, they're unbelieving. They're uh, angry. All these things. What causes that? We know that from the patterns. That's how it's going to be. The majority of the people or everyone. You know, we're all going to be weak. Are going to be like that. Why? Why is that? The scriptures show one of the greatest sins is unbelief. One of the greatest sins is. Well, that can't happen, or that's not me, or such and such and such and such and such. Why? How do we break free of that? Why is it that prophets are murdered? Well, they're murdered because people don't believe that they're a prophet. Why was Christ killed? Well, they didn't believe. Why was Joseph Smith killed? Well, <laughs> people didn't believe he was a prophet, and they got rid that. But there are other people who, you know, wanted to kill him for other reasons. Uh, But it's all, all throughout the Book of Mormon, it's, it's unbelief, you know, they're, they're vanity, pride, unbelief, unbelief, vanity, pride, however you want to lay it out. How do we break free of this issue? Well, who are we? You have to realize that at some point in, in Jesus's time, people were studying the word of God and they, their hearts were pricked and they just thought, huh? I don't think we're doing stuff like that. I mean, I, I I love my Pharisee. I love my, my Sadducee. I love my high priest, but I, the scriptures say this, or the spirit's telling me this. And then they started talking with other people that were like-minded sort of wow. Well, I don't know. And then they started praying and then they started seeking and desiring. Same thing with Joseph Smith's time frame. It was a small group of people. It didn't seem like they had any power anything special, um, just a small, you know, nothing significant. These people were acting in faith and being believing. They weren't, they weren't, you see all their weaknesses. You you see um, them deny Christ. You see all these, you know, terrible mistakes that they made because just because you see an angel or just because you see Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden you're a new person now. You're still going to be you. If you make it to the exodus, or if you're a part of working with the Davidic servant, you're not going to be all of a sudden you don't get mad at your kids when they're yelling. And all of a sudden your wife doesn't upset you when she says that one thing she's been saying for 20 years, you're still the same person. The only thing that's gotten you to have that role or be a part of that is your faith in going to the Lord in prayer and acting and loving him and offering up that broken heart and contrary spirit. Anything that you haven't offered up in a broken heart and contrite spirit and had the Lord take it, you still have it. So if you have all these other little issues, that's who you're going to be. We're all still going to be the same person. And that's what my friend was talking about. When she brought up is she was kind of saying, well, I'll just be changed. I'll just be this, you know, by the time I get to there, I'll I'll be this incredible, you know, angelic warrior, and I'll be fighting um, Babylon and waiting for Christ to return. And that's that expectation. Expectation that we set that's completely false that I was speaking of earlier. You have to realize that we're all going to be continually broken. We're all going to be continually screwing up. We're going to be sitting here going, okay, I feel like I should have this cottage meeting in my house. I don't really know what I'm going to teach. I have no clue what I'm doing, but the Spirit's telling me this, and I believe the scriptures, and I'm no one special. And that is how it has started with every single. Servant of Christ, disciple of Christ. It starts with acting and believing, even though we couldn't accept maybe right then that we're going to be doing anything special. None of those disciples or apostles or people or Christians that gave their lives in Christ's time thought they were anything special. They were just acting and believing. And we look at them and we idolize them. And look at Joseph Smith. People who knew Joseph we're like, that's a 14 year old kid that wrestles and does whatever. And I saw him trip the other day. It's, it's because he's nothing special. He's nothing significant in the eyes of the world. They couldn't accept Christ because he was nothing special There's nothing significant about him. There, there was just his mom. His mom was his only family that was there when he was being crucified. He had brothers and sisters. Where were they? Well, they weren't there. Why? They didn't believe that he was Christ. Very few people who knew Christ believed he was Christ. Lazarus was uncle. I, I might be saying that wrong, but um, uncle of, uh, oh, what's what's her name? Mary and Martha. And they knew them well. They'd known them for a long time. And he, he didn't believe it. He loved Lazarus. So there's nothing significant. When Joseph Smith comes back on the scene, There will be nothing significant or special. It will be very hard for any of us to know who he is, who this Davidic servant is, without the spirit. we would more likely to stone him following the pattern. If you're not following the spirit, you're following the pattern that shows what you'll do otherwise if you don't have the spirit to guide you. So getting rid of that unbelief, getting rid of, well... I really couldn't be this. I really couldn't be doing something special like this. I re- it really can't be the end times, could it? You got to get rid of that. Start praying to have it taken away. Start believing that these little promptings and these little thoughts are significant, that it's building a foundation, just like a foundation was built in every other time and every other pattern and every other parallel that has played out before us. And we're, we're the lucky ones because we get to look back and see all of it. How significant is that? That we get to look back And we get to see the clear patterns and we get to know that all of this is going to happen again. The third, fourth, we're at least on the third round of this pattern. So what are we preparing for? We're preparing for the end times to play out for us to spiritually be the five wise virgins that fill their oil or their lamp with oil, that hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, that see the signs the parallels, the patterns, and are believing in them to the extent that we act. We can know that that light switch turns on the light. We can see other people walk up and flip it on every single day. But us sitting here is not going to turn it on. Us believing it'll go on, won't turn it on. Us getting up, walking over and acting on those thoughts and those feelings and those ideas is what makes the difference. And so it is my prayer that as we seek out and understand the patterns and parallels that have played out through the doctrine of Christ that we will believe will cast off all of our vanity, all of our pride, offer up the broken heart and contrite spirit that we may enter into that new and everlasting covenant and become what we were prepared for before the foundation of this world. And that is the servants of Jesus Christ to bring about his kingdom in these last days. And I say these things in the name of my savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.